Uh, I find this strangely pretentious and insulting. Just Uh-oh. the headline from Forbes is why you saw Captain Marvel and Wonder Woman, but not Alita and Tomb Raider. I'm like, first of all, I saw all four of those. Everybody, welcome to a brand new episode of Isle of the Damned. After a short break, we have returned. We are going to talk about some new releases and stuff that we saw in the theaters. Um, Brian, he's Kent. I don't know what to ask you because I feel like I've already asked you something before. <laughs> Woo, deja vu. Uh, but <laughs> how are you doing? I, I'm doing fine. I got a massage today, so I smell like <laughs> various liniments. How did that go? Tell us an intimate deep knob joke. joke. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. Hopefully that, uh, you know, gave, gave you a boost of energy for the show. Wow, this is going in a weird direction. Oh, anyway. <laughs> I actually just about fell asleep, but still. <laughs> oh, jeez. All right. So, hey, that's, that's another one. So, we each saw three relatively uh, major movies, but uh, you saw an extra one than I did. So, why don't you start off with what you saw, which actually... I never saw any of these movies, and not by choice. It's just I didn't want, I didn't want to see this third one because I still need to see the first two. But someday I'll get around to it. So you saw how your dragon is. It's not called the third one though, right? It's <laughs> the, the hidden world. How your dragon uh, does something. I, okay, uh, it's how to train your dragon. The hidden world. Uh, and I am a big fan of this series, but the weird thing is, I don't think I've watched any of them since the second one came out in theaters, which is weird because I own the first two and I just Mm. don't revisit them even though they're very good movies. So I'm sure I missed a little bit in the third one in terms of recurring uh, story elements, but this one is still really good. It is on par with the first two. It is one of those trilogies that somehow does not take a dip anywhere along the way, which is nice. Uh, Now, Hmm. apparently they did decide to cut back at some point because they had been talking about, I can't remember which was which, but this one in the Kung Fu Panda series, they had talked about doing five and seven movies respectively. Maybe they moved some of these over to the TV show that they did. I don't know, but... Yeah, I was going to say, didn't they do... I forgot about the TV show. That's a good, that's a good point. But, yeah, th- this one is definitely a definitive trilogy ender. It's even got an epilogue at the end that's sort of like a better version of that Harry Potter one where they're grown up and have kids and everything, but... Oh, okay, yeah. So, I would not expect any more of these, which is surprising because they've all made money. Definitely. I thought the second one the second one made less domestically than the first one by a decent amount so i think maybe that's part of why too although apparently it made more worldwide but that was right. 5 years ago before they really started to take that into account as much and started putting scenes in movies specifically for the chinese market and stuff like that but yeah i think that uh, this one is definitely worthy of being with the other two. There's only a few things that really feel clunky to it. The first one is they do have a bit of an 
opening info dump, a lot of exposition where it's just clumsily handled. And that's that's too bad. I guess they just wanted to catch people up like yourself who maybe hadn't seen the first two. Mm. Uh, secondly, the villain is... He just feels a little bit too much like the one in the second. and It's kind of like Iron Man, where it, it all feels like variations of the same thing, to yeah. a degree. And the third thing... It relies a lot more on the characters Rough Nut and Tough Nut, the twins, who I'm sure you don't <laughs> know sorry, anything about. But, that laughed, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, and that tends to be a little bit of a problem, because a little bit of them goes a long way, sort of like the Minions, in my opinion, which is why I refuse to watch the Minions movie. <laughs> and relying on characters being stupid, usually characters that your main character should have learned better than to trust with the things that they are trusted to do, in order to move your plot forward is always an iffy proposition. You start to roll your eyes and be like, why would you put yourself in that position? But those are really the only downsides. It's a gorgeously animated film. It looks amazing. And the voice actors are all back, even Gerard Butler. And yeah, I think that if you like the first two, you cannot go wrong with this third one. Well, that's good. I mean, yeah, I was going to say it's incredible for DreamWorks at least to have, uh, I mean, three movies in the trilogy that are all pretty much critically acclaimed and fan acclaimed, especially in that genre. Because, I mean, they've got some other, the Shrek franchise, which pretty much went downhill after the first one. And. Kung Fu Panda, same kind of thing. Kung Fu Panda um, had the first two that were really good. I was not feeling the third one, even if it wasn't a p terrible movie. But yeah. this one is the one thing DreamWorks has that seems to be strong from beginning to end. Well, they do have Boss Baby 2 coming up, so... I thought that was uh, different. I thought that was Blue Sky. Uh, oh, is it? Well, it's listed under DreamWorks. I don't know the beginning. Eh, who knows, but... <laughs> well, and that's, that's the other weird thing. Is the first one was released through DreamWorks... The second one yeah. re was released through Fox, and the third one is released through Universal, even though they're all made by DreamWorks, but right. I guess DreamWorks got rid of their main studio or something, and now they just... I don't know what the yeah, deal is with DreamWorks. You're, right, it, you're absolutely right, because like, they're all just outsourced to different... It, some came out from Universal, some came out from 20th Century Fox, some came out from Paramount. It was only really their early stuff that they put out themselves, like Ants and Shrek and... Does anyone remember the Road to El Dorado? <laughs> Shark yeah. Tale, stuff like that. Uh, Road to El Dorado and Prince of Egypt were, I think, the only two 2D animated films that they did. Both of them, yeah. I thought, did okay. but Yeah, and uh, like Madagascar was their last one that they put out themselves, and then the rest, like you said, have just been kind of outsourced different studios. And yeah. I still think their best movie is Shrek the Halls or Shrek in the Swamp <laughs> Karaoke Dance Party. But, um, no, uh, no, seriously, that's, it's good to hear. Uh, someday I'd like to get around to seeing the three of these movies. And it's one of those things where I just, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I should, but cause I actually have another friend that is, is really a fan of them too. And I just haven't gotten around to it. So, well, it's good to it hear. doesn't hurt that Chris Sanders, who, was so deeply involved in Lilo and Stitch, did yeah. a lot of work on these, and I I think he's really talented and good at what he does, and he's I, I love his character design, so that certainly is a plus in my book. So, yeah, I, I hope you enjoy them when you check them out. I know that they're maybe not your usual fare, but I think you'll, right. I think you'll dig them. I have to say this, I did not realize that uh, DreamWorks was the studio that put out Trolls, 
and they're making a troll sequel called Trolls World Tour. I thought that movie didn't do good. Why we? Why do we know Trolls? No, it did. For... It did just fine, Brian. We just uh... no. I don't want to hear about it. Like no, that's lies. No, I'm kidding. God, who is? God damn it! It looked like such a piece of garbage. Sorry, I don't need to see. And it, so... it kind of was. I mean, Justin Timberlake and fucking Gwen Stefani running around fucking. Singing and God damn it! Sorry, <laughs> go on a rant. I'll stop. Let's move on to the next. Yeah. Movie. There are movies that are not made for me, and that is definitely one of them because I can't think of a single thing about those yeah. aside from like, Anna Kendrick that yeah. I would like in the least. So yeah, and I mean, I grew up in the era of when people had those awful troll dolls on their desks and stuff, mm-hmm. but like, I don't get the. Yeah, never mind. Anyways, moving on to the second movie, or our second review, we both saw Alita Battle Angel, which is basically based on the 1990s Japanese manga uh, known as Gundam in, in in Japan, which translates, I think, to, like, Gun Dream or something like that. So, But basically, there was a manga series in the 90s, and there was a 55-minute OVA, which in their terms is, like, original, original animation video. video that was yeah. like direct video. Yeah, and and for some reason, everything besides this was called Battle Angel Alita, and they just decided to switch it yeah, up for no reason it, in particular. It's weird because so this this movie's been in, this movie has been in conception and production development since two thousand. They registered the domain name battleangelalita.com. James Cameron registered it in June 2000. So this is a 19-year journey of this movie. Um, so, uh, and, and I don't think it was worth that. In to, no. I, maybe if he had directed it, and we'll get to that in due time, but instead well, yeah. he was too busy making Avatar and Avatar sequels that may be released someday that I could give two shits about. It's, so. it's really interesting, because I did a little bit of research, and it's this was originally supposed to be his next movie, after he did Dark Angel, that TV series with Jessica Alba, which I completely forgot existed, and apparently that move, that TV show, he got a lot of ideas from that, from for that TV show, from watching and reading the Battle Angel stuff. So again, yes, Avatar apparently came up, and then everything else got thrown to the wayside. So he is executive producing, and he has a screen play co-credit but i don't know how much of what is left in this movie has anything to do with james cameron but robert rodriguez is the director and it's an okay movie um i have not seen the anime in a long long time if i ever i don't think i ever did i may have seen parts of it when i was big into anime in the mid 90s but um it's just the movie i feel has a lot of uh muddy script problems and the visual effects are good, but the screenplay is just not up to snuff to make me care enough. And I don't know if this is a particularly genre that like after ghost in the shell, I kind of was like, okay, this is like, I wasn't looking forward to it. Maybe this is a good point too. So I don't know. Uh, How did you feel? Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely played out on the post-apocalyptic thing myself, but I did still think it was a, pretty good movie. I think that you are right about a few things there. I I certainly would rather have seen James Cameron direct this than Smurfy walks that have sex with their ponytails. But <laughs> because, and it's for a couple of reasons. Number one, because one of the weakest parts of the film, and it's a major part of the film, is a romance between Alita right. and another character played... Hugo. Yeah, yeah, Hugo, played by 
Kian Johnson, it just does not work very well. I, it, for some reason, that whole naive romance thing, just, I don't know if Robert Rodriguez just isn't able to do that sort of thing, or if it just was not in the, it wasn't well written in the script, but that's the kind of thing that Cameron excels at. If you've forgotten yeah. that, go ahead and go back and watch Titanic. It's allowed. It's not a terrible movie. It's just <laughs> overly long and popular. So yeah. I think that... No, the, you make, you make a very fair point. I mean, I mean to interrupt, but like, um, you're right. If it, Sort of the, the, the love and romance angle in this movie, like if you don't buy into that, it kind of makes the finale and the rest of the movie kind of not work as well because it's sort of linked in with the whole movie up to the end. So it's like, it's sort of like it kind of hinges on that working. And I think that's mm-hmm. a problem. Um, continue. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, though. Well, also, it's the probably the most violent PG-13 film ever made. And it gets yeah, away it's... with it because it's cyborgs. And it's cyborgs with human heads and faces who they establish have a physical sense of touch. But, feeling. you know, it's a bunch of, like, <laughs> 75-year-old men in the MPAA that are just like, oh, well, it's robots. It doesn't matter. They can chop up as many, like, you know, transport. <laughs> oh, they're just robots. They're not humans, so it doesn't matter. So, like, there you go. Yeah. Like, it, you know, you can do whatever you want to robots <laughs> and movies and still get a PG-13 rating. Because there are things in this movie that I found absolutely, completely horrifying. But because people have metal bodies and blue blood, <laughs> they it's okay. Right. So, I don't know, maybe I'm off on my own on that one, but uh, I guess here's what he got right. Uh, Robert Rodriguez did some pretty good casting because Christoph yeah. Waltz is really good in it. Mahershala Ali is yeah. good, although he doesn't get nearly as much to do as he should. Jennifer Conley's good. You've got a cameo from Jeff Fahey that I really enjoyed. Uh, Jackie Earl Haley's in it. And, uh, yeah. and of course, of people. Yeah. we get a cameo by our favorite, Jai Courtney. <laughs> Making his return to the movies after Suicide Squad because, yeah, I wouldn't want to come back either. No. Um, yeah, he, he plays the motorball champion, which I guess is pretty much like rollerball, but it's motorball. Yeah, yeah when your movie depends upon whole lot upon souped up rollerball it's it's not a good sign but yeah and just uh speaking of cameos you, you forgot to mention you also have caster van dien who randomly shows up as well <laughs> <laughs> which i was just like what the fuck and of course um, it's not really spoiling anything but edward norton out of fucking nowhere <laughs> like what uh to set up the sequels apparently um yeah it's just it's a very um I think um, Sean Rodriguez as well. There's a lot of people that you weren't, like, basically said they were in the movie, but, like, it's like, oh, there's this person. And you said it's a very strong cast. It's just, I just don't think the screenplay gives them, they they aren't, I thought they aren't used well. It's just, the movie itself just doesn't, didn't work for me. Like I said, the, the, it's a fair, fine movie. It's just not my style. Uh, the, the, The action scenes are fine. The CGI is great. I just, it's not one of Robert Rodriguez's best movies, and again, I don't yeah. know, it's just... And, and it's, no. it's like, the more he relies on CGI, past mm. Sin City, the more his movies have seemed to kind of coast. Yeah. I thought the Machete movies were okay, I thought the second yeah. one was funnier than, uh, and a, more of a good time than the first one, but uh, he's kind of 
been up and down since like that third Spy Kids movie. So yeah, he's gonna talk about a weird philosophy. You've got Desperado from Dust Till Dawn, Faculty, Spy Kids, Sin City, all over the place. You know, Machete, like you said. But yeah, the um, Adventures of Shark Boy and Lava Girl. <laughs> okay, I forget. But yeah, I mean, I loved Grindhouse and yep. Sin City. And ever since then, I'm really kind of grasping to think of a movie he's done that I've just loved. Yeah, especially at the Sin City sequel was just really bad. Like, I, I literally liked the first Sin City, and I the second one, I was just like, I mean, you said Machete, Machete Kills, their whatever. But yeah, Planet Tower was great, but like since then, I haven't seen anything by him that really showed. Like, I, I love the faculty. I love From Dust Till Dawn. I love the, the Desperado trilogy. You know, he's got a really good directing style but yeah i wonder you, you i didn't think of that you mentioned the cgi aspect and i didn't i wonder if that is sort of like there's just some directors that aren't able to how am i trying to put this they don't they're not able to express their direction through non-real acting. let me put it this way there are some directors who excel when they have limitations put on them right right and i don't know if that's so yeah it, it I don't know if he was the right choice. I get why they picked him, and I don't think he was. An, he's not a bad choice, but I don't know. I think also the source material. I don't know if there's a lot of people out there. If it came out like maybe even fifteen years, fifteen to twenty years ago, it would have been seen differently. But it's such a cluster in the movie. It feels like it should have come out within three years of the Matrix. Right. Like this just feels like so many of these post-apocalyptic, three hundred years in the future. Again, this is. This was fresh when it was made, but in 2019, it doesn't seem like that. None of these really, the plot points seem like something crazy awesome. The superhero movies that are out, the comic movies, everything, the science fiction movies have come so far that I feel it's kind of like, well, it's okay, it's a good movie, but it's not the audience, again, like much like Ghost in the Shell, it's just... No matter how you do it, I don't think these live action and anime transfers are going to work. I mean, I know they keep wanting to keep making more and more of them, but it's, I mean, it's making money. It's, it's yeah, made I, well, budget. yeah, I mean, it, it, the whole thing is you're trying to make twice your budget back because right. they, they've got the budget listed at $170 million. You have to assume they, they've probably spent about that amount on advertising. That's the basic rule, usually. So at, yeah. at uh, $380 million, that means that they've probably made about $40 million, which sounds small uh, when we're talking about such huge budgets and everything, but that is making right. money, and $40 million, I know I would sure love to have that much. But. Well, yeah, and plus, like, so much of this now gets digital or, or, or Blu-ray or 4K, whatever you want to call it at this point. There'll probably be a sequel. Will I be excited for it? Not really, but we'll see. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm guessing if there is a sequel, we're going to see the budget go down a little bit. Oh, yeah. All, and they definitely will push it towards overseas because it did not make most of its box office in America. I, yeah. It's kind of like Pacific yeah. Rim or something like that where it did a lot right. better overseas than here. One thing that I will say before we move on, Rosa Salazar is the star, but of course, as soon as the the trailer came out, which originally was supposed to come out around Christmas, but they pushed right. it back so that it wouldn't <laughs> collide with Once Upon a Deadpool, because that's how much <laughs> faith they had in this movie, apparently. Uh, but ever since that trailer came out, everybody said just all they can talk about is those big anime eyes. It's like after Watchmen, I saw an infographic about 
post-Watchmen conversations, and the differences between this and the comic, and the philosophy that Zack Snyder's talking about in it, but the biggest uh, part of the pie was Big Blue Dong. I was about to say, I was waiting for that. It's like, legit, you could never see that movie, and people would be like, dude, that's a movie with the fucking Blue Dong in it, right? Like, that, that. like it's, so, it, it was one of those if, things where they could have just, yeah. Yeah, even if Alita Battle Angel was a masterpiece, right. 90% of the post-movie conversations are going to be about Arise. Well, I mean, and to be honest, in the trailers, when I saw it, took me, I don't, it looked, it looks weird, and I get why they did it, and it yeah. didn't take me out of the movie, per se, but I feel it looked a little too anime, I get well, I get why they're doing it, but it just, yeah. I don't know, maybe you couldn't have, you I could actually have, thought you know. it worked pretty well, it, it didn't bother me much at all once I got used to it. It's all right. I mean, but yeah, it just it, it, it just kind of there. But nonetheless, it's an okay movie. If you're a fan of the manga or the anime, then you'll probably enjoy it more than I did. But uh, it's definitely worth seeing. I don't know if it's worth seeing at a maximum movie price. Maybe check out a matinee or something like that. So, excuse me as I burp into the mic. <laughs> so <laughs> moving Brian, on to... Yeah, moving yeah. on. What did you think of a movie that's very near and dear to your heart? Yeah. Fighting so, with My Family. Yeah, so this is interesting because... So Fighting With My Family is a biopic slash sports documentary slash comedy drama thing <laughs> with wrestling. And professional wrestling is sort of the redheaded stepchild of things sometimes... And I, as a fan, I will say, because these stereotypical fans, no one's listening, of course, are the stereotypical wrestling fans are either rednecks or young kids. And the last time there was a real theatrically released wrestling movie was when Warner Brothers, who at that point, uh, uh, Ted Turner owned WCW and was like, we'll make a giant movie out of it. And uh, so they made Ready to Rumble with David Arquette and... Uh, was it Scott Kahn? One of one of those one of those guy <laughs> young actors in like Rose McGowan and Baldwin's it, or something like that. Yeah, and it basically was like you're if you're like wrestling and you know this is not being trying to be crass because this is like you are mentally retarded. Like they portrayed those characters as they were stupid morons who were just idiots and thought it was real and just it was the worst possible thing that you could do with that and it kind of just. Oh, so that's why people watch wrestling. And that was worst thing is that was at the height of wrestling's popularity. Stone Cold and The Rock and all that. But luckily, this movie, it is it is put out by WWE Studios. But The Rock re- apparently went and Dwayne Johnson, uh, obviously, who was a producer on this and is also in this movie, went to many movie studios to try to sell it. And they were like, yeah, we don't want to put out a wrestling movie. So they ended up financing it themselves and then ended up selling it to MGM to basically release it, and they got paid some money that way. But this movie, in my opinion, just shines because of the choice of the writer and director, who's Steve Merchant, and he just knocks it out of the park for a movie that could have just been a really awful, awful movie with give with not uh, give, mm-hmm. given to someone else. So yeah. I'm curious what you thought because you haven't you're not a wrestling fan, and I'm you no, know I'm I mean I, I don't dislike wrestling. I I've you know always I mean. loved Rey Mysterio, a... and I grew up with the yeah. whole Hogan and right. Rowdy Roddy Piper type thing. I, right. I know that when he passed away, we made a big deal of it because right. he was always my favorite. But uh, I'm certainly not as big a fan as you are, and. This movie is so much better than it has any right to be, and I'll I'll tell you why I'm making what sounds like a condescending statement, (laughs) and it is because 
a WWE branded movie about one of their wrestlers is, if we're being very blunt, a promotional tool for right. their brand. And WWE has shown to be nothing if not crass and blunt itself when we talk about how they handle their brand promotion. Yeah. So not only is it just the history of WWE, WWF, World Wrestling Federation, etc. movies, which you're basically going back to No Holds Barred with Hulk Hogan and all that implies, because that is a fucking garbage fire of a film. <laughs> yeah, but, no, but, it is but, not yeah, like I mean, being it, fun. It, it's set up to basically be a commercial in a lot of ways yeah. because you don't see anything bad about WWE, which is a very questionable product in a lot well, of cases. Well, I mean, and, let's be honest, and I'm not defending him because he is a fucking pile of garbage, but No Holds Barred was written in a hotel room between Hulk Hogan and Vince McMahon on a piece of paper, yeah. apparently. So, like, in two hours. So, it's like, yeah, that movie... But like you said, no, it's absolutely true, though, that they could have just used this as, look, look how great WWE is. We are we are the best, and here's our product, and we, you should well, watch the product. For people who are sports, are, are, are in the loop in sports, you might actually get this metaphor, but mm -hmm. Vince McMahon is to wrestling as Al Davis was to football. <laughs> he basically runs his company the same way in yeah. terms of just, not really caring so much about the people that he has under him necessarily, and a lot of times he does very questionable things. And this movie does not take any of that into account. You're not going to get any oh. kind of criticism of WWE or wrestling no. in general, but what you do get is it, uh, it is a cliche underdog sports movie filled with things that you've seen before, but they're done so well by Stephen Merchant that it doesn't matter, and it's still really, really good. And I think without Stephen Merchant, you don't have that. Yeah, I, I, like, the two things that stood out to me in this movie were, you know, you can say, oh, the movie has heart, but it really does. There's parts in this movie where it's like, it's cliched stuff, but for whatever reason, it works the way it's done. And it's funny. It's genuinely funny. It has wit in it, which... I think goes a long way because if you just did a serious movie like this the whole way through, I don't think it would have worked as well. There's a lot of stuff that lands really well, but again, like I think uh, you, we talked off 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 the air about this, but like it's it's very much the British humor, so a little little gutter gutter humor, but it works. It's funny, yeah. and uh, if you're a fan of that, and I think the other thing is this cast is fleshed out, the characters are fleshed out. Obviously, you got Nick Frost, who always been a fan of him. He actually, you know, playing Paige's father. We should never, we never mentioned this yet, but this movie is about Paige the wrestler. But, um, <laughs> he plays her father. In another movie, he would have just had like two scenes and been the stereotypical father. That's a but he's a wrestler. They run their own wrestling thing in the UK, and you've got Lena Headey from Terminator, Sarah Connor Chronicles, and Games of Thrones as the mother. The, the guy who plays the brother who. Jack Jack Loudon, like they're all just great in this movie, and yeah, they I, carry this movie, and, and it works really well because they're given story as opposed to just yeah. it doesn't just focus on Paige's journey from being in the UK in England in an in independent wrestling group that her parents run to getting to the height of WWE, but you get a lot more than just that. You've got all these other side stories, especially the dichotomy of her and the brother's storyline of mm -hmm. how they're both 
Yeah. Both take basically both go try out and she's taken and he's not and that you would think is oh that's just an easy thing that they just go by but it actually is a crux to a lot of great dramatic stuff in the movie. So yeah. and, um, and that that is another thing where that, I know that we're talking him up over and over again here, but one of the things that Stephen Merchant does that really differentiates this between a lesser from a lesser movie is that all of these side characters, maybe even more than the main character. Right. feel like real three-dimensional characters that have lives outside right. of the two hours that we're seeing. Exactly. They, it, feels, it feels like a lived-in world, which is important, especially in a documentary or do, bio-doc. Like, it, it, feels, it doesn't feel like, oh, we're just acting. Like, it, it feels real. You believe that they're, the, they're a family, and it feels like real life. It doesn't feel like, oh, we're watching like a... Like you, you said to me, it could have been a cookie-cutter WWE film where they brought in some hack director and it would have just been like a propaganda. In a certain sense, it still is in a certain way, but it's so much more thanks to Steve Merchant. Yeah, it could have um, been yet another Marine film. Yeah, no, it would have been a movie theater if it was that. No, <laughs> Vince Vaughn, I thought, is pretty well in this, and I like yeah. the fact that, you know, the rock people say, well, he's, you know, he... You know, one of the, if not the biggest Hollywood star right now, you know, he could have put himself in this movie all over it. And he smartly kind of puts himself in it when needed and he doesn't ever feel like over overused. And I think that's a good thing. And again, it's a 75% truth or maybe 80% truth. And there's a lot of stuff that they changed slightly for the movie, looking at Vince Vaughn's character especially, and some of the stuff that they try to change a little bit. But for the most part, it's still pretty true story of what happened. And with this 18-year-old girl who randomly just gets brought to America and tries out for the biggest wrestling game, and she gets to developmental – and there are there were a lot of girls that were basically hired. They were former bikini models and stuff. And the Bella Twins, they were they were hired for people that don't know. I'm sure they've heard of the Bella Twins. They were hired out of the, one of the uh, talent guys looking in a freaking modeling catalog, and he saw them. So it's like that's how they used to find their talent. So the fact that Paige or Soraya, her real name, is an actual wrestler was a big deal for them. They found like this girl that could actually wrestle. Which is now where Daredevil is now, where they actually have women wrestlers as opposed to before they were divas. But uh, I, I digress. But um, no, I, I really, really like this movie. I think the only thing that maybe saddens me the most is that uh, we didn't get to see AJ Lee as AJ Lee. And that's because, <laughs> well, Daredevil and CM Punk, her husband, had a giant falling out. And there was a giant lawsuit. And it's not good. Um, he, she's he tried still... to be an MMA fighter. Failed <laughs> miserably. miserably, yeah. And uh, he's just sort of sitting in Chicago doing nothing at this point with her. And she wrote a book, which was great. She's actually still friends with a lot of people in WWE, so I don't think she dislikes WWE. I think it's just the, her husband that is keeping her away. But it would have been nice if she could have played herself, but they actually... I think she left, or the this was the the scene that they needed her for where they filmed after Monday Night Raw was like either shortly after she left or whatever. So they decided to hire uh, one of the a wrestler, an indie wrestler, to play her, who now is on them actually in the WWE main roster as Zelina Vega, manager. But she's a really good wrestler, Thea Trinidad, her real name, and she doesn't. She, she just looks nothing like AJ Lee. <laughs> she had the same body type, but that's about it. Like you know, what I mean, like yeah, she looks wise now, but uh, like she's at least able to pull off the wrestling moves and stuff. Um, Florence Pugh as as Paige, I liked, but I mean. 
they obviously made her more every girl because Paige, let's put it this way, when she was hired, there was a lot of people that were like, whoa, she's gorgeous. Like, she was a lot more built and not built but like in shape and you know i'm not trying to but i I think they kind of made that a little less for obviously for the movie because they didn't want to look like oh well Paige was this gorgeous british girl that they hired i mean that was another reason they hired well and yeah if i do have one critique about the whole movie it is that they spend a lot of it talking about how special she is and how she's got a spark and all this and Conversely, the brother keeps getting told, well, you don't have that. Yeah. And they either needed to build up Paige a little bit more to where we actually see that she's special. Right. Or they needed to, and I hate to say this because I think he might be the best character in the whole movie, they needed to take the brother down a notch because, as we see it, he is a much better wrestler than she is. Right. And I, I think the only reason they left it how it is when I, I agree with you but because that, that's the true story i mean when he showed up for that tryout he was obviously worlds better than she was and he he still wrestles to this day in the, in the uk for their parents promotion and other independent promotions and he's really good but i think it was just one of those things where they were just like well we've got a bazillion guys male wrestlers that we can get that are good wrestlers and have charisma but women at the time like i said were very much the blonde fake uh, whatever actually she wasn't fake at all but yeah no no but you know what i meant like yes that no no, that's a good that's a good analogy even see no wrestling training whatsoever but they look good so but they've kind of tried to move on from that so i think Paige was started the beginning of the quote unquote women's revolution. This is using wrestling talk because this is what, but the, the company's trying to spin it its way into making itself look better now. So, but, um, <laughs> but no, um, in, in, in the only thing that's kind of sad is because the movie ends on this happy note and, you know, oh, look, she, she made it and this is, she, she's got, obviously, she's got this long career and it's like, so the match they show where she, you know, at the end of the at the end of the movie where she wins the title from AJ Lee and everything was yes from 2014, but of course, like two years later, she got injured, a neck injury, so she was off TV for about a year and a half. Then her phone got hacked, and there was all sorts of that stuff that people I'm sure already know about. I'm not going to talk about it because I don't want to bring it up, but that kind of and she got really in a bad place with drugs and. Uh, it was kind of in a dark place. And a couple of year, like about a year ago, she got cleared and was brought back, and, and everything was behind her, and she was great and back and wrestling. And freak accident, she got hit, and then uh, some someone injured her in the neck again, and now she pretty much almost could have gotten paralyzed, but she's to the point where she can't ever wrestle again. Even if she takes another bump per se, uh, she'd be paralyzed. So she is not even wrestling anymore, and so they used her as like a on air commissioner type role for the past year but now i think they've kind of phased out of that so i don't know what she's actually doing if if anything for the company she came out to promote the movie a couple times on tv but other than that it's kind of sad that she's like i believe i want to say 20 i don't even think she's 30 yet and she's already um done with wrestling so it's it's uh yeah she's 26 and her career is over like it's just yeah, now all she has is i mean she's basically ringside she's right. like uh oh, what was the undertaker's uh Paul Bear, yeah. Paul no, Bear exactly, or something yeah. like, like that yeah 
and, and so it's just it's kind of sad and no she's doing like she has her own clothing line and like stuff like she's trying to do other stuff outside of wrestling but I just feel bad for her because watching the movie it really makes you care about her and she is a, she, I think she's a really smart girl and I think it's just sad that like her last two years of her life has just been a complete clusterfuck and the movie of course is not going to show you that at the end because they don't want you to take away from the Rocky ending so it's just, it's kind of sad but um yeah. but that's life so um yeah but they, yeah, they the have is, uh, they have the uh, epilogue at the end where they yes. talk about what happened to everybody but they don't go into very much depth as far as that no goes. no they, they definitely don't and um but it's it's a really great movie i mean they put this movie in Sundance, and I ever thought there'd be a WWE Studios film at Sundance. No, <laughs> like, come on. Um, so it's obviously doing much better in the UK than it is over here because obviously they all know Paige and her family over there much more. But and was, you know, the whole way this movie was made was The Rock saw a documentary on TV that they showed clips of in the closing credits in 2012, and that's where he's like, "Oh, so that that's." But it, it did. It's doing. It did okay for a eleven million dollar movie. That I'm sure it will yeah, be out of the, the theaters pretty soon. I do wish that it had uh, done a little bit better, and because I barely got to see it in theaters, I'm hoping that other people will have access to it. They'll be able to go and see it because I think I saw the last showing that my local theater had. Yeah. They. Yeah, all they had was a couple of afternoon showings on a Thursday, which typically means that it's going. If right. you still have it near you, I will say right now, that is the movie I would most recommend that you go and see. Yeah, it's just, I think it was released the same weekend as How to Train Your Dragon. Not this fighting the same audience, but that's a big movie that's going to take up screens. I mean, it, it finished fourth in the first weekend, which isn't awful for an independent small movie like this. But again, now with Captain Marvel, it's not going to, like you said, it's not going to survive the theater. So good news is, well, I mean, it, it, it's critically acclaimed. It's got 92% of Rotten Tomatoes, whether you like that or not. But the cinema score is A-. minus on. So, I mean, I, a lot of people liked it. Either people that, you know, I'm, I'm just happy that there's a lot of people that don't know anything about wrestling and enjoying this movie. And I actually can show this to people that... Yeah. Without being embarrassed about watching wrestling, yeah, <laughs> it's PG thirteen, and if it if it wasn't British, I don't think it would have gotten a PG thirteen because there is a lot of like cock and balls talk. But <laughs> because yeah. it's uh, because yeah. it's British slang, I think, like you said, those seventy year old guys don't know what it means. So, um, but yeah, <laughs> no. I would uh, I would definitely recommend it. I, I think you, it's perfectly safe to take your kids to see it as well. Yeah. As long yeah. as you don't mind a little yeah, salty not... talk, so. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, but definitely a very good movie, and very happy that I get to see it. I'm glad you saw it. I can't recommend it enough. So let's get to the big movie of this week, which of course it came up this past week is Captain Marvel. Which, depending on which side of the, I guess, side of the Twitter Audi. Yeah, where where you stand apparently matters to everyone. Like, if you don't like this movie, you're a certain kind of person. And if you do like this movie, you're a certain kind of person, which I think is complete bullshit. But, you know, that's the way this day and age is. So we're going to try to discuss this without getting into, well, if you don't like it, you're this. Or if you like it, you're this. Because there's a lot of that going around. And it's just, it's just, it's the worst part of the internet. And honestly, that's what, sadly, the, this movie got the most press from is the people that tried to tank it by 
logging into Rotten Tomatoes as fans before anyone's the movie wasn't even released to the critics yet so no one saw it but they would put like a half a star and saying like fuck this movie it's awful even though they had never saw it so there was that whole controversy I'm not bringing that into the, to my review or it does no bearing on my review of the movie but it's just kind of a stupid thing and I know there's people that are happy that this made a lot of money to show those trolls but at the same time it doesn't really matter it's a movie that was going to make money regardless yeah, um, I mean, it, so, it's a Marvel movie and Marvel is currently Marvel is more bulletproof than Star Wars right now, as evidenced by Solo. But oh, absolutely, yeah. So and, I and think, Marvel has made a lot better choices so far than right. Star Wars. I think there's a lot more faith. Even the hardcore Marvel fan, Marvel fan, Marvel, Marvel fans, they love their movies. Where the star, hardcore Star Wars fans, you've got the ones that are like, this isn't this isn't in continuity with. The, I'm, I'm doing a you know the Conan. O'Brien heard voice, but it isn't in continuity with the, the the book from 1995, and it's like that's fine. And of course, the whole thing with Episode Eight, where everyone either hated it or loved it, and then it's this giant fucking disaster. So yeah, I think Star Wars is a lot more all over the place with whether people like it or not. And while this movie, yes, has discerning opinions, so. To get to the movie, actually, so the people that directed this movie have never directed an action movie to my... I think they, they had done movies like Mississippi Grind, Half Nelson, Sugar, like these really small movies. Mm-hmm. And so this was their first big budget movie. So that's an interesting choice in itself. And they, Which but, Marvel, Marvel has had some really good luck with that, and they've also... yeah, Well, uh, you've got the Russo brothers who basically yeah. came from television. They ended up being a great hire. You've got Joss yeah. Whedon, who had made a movie, and I think uh, it was enough to show that he could handle something like that, and obviously the Avengers came out really well. You've got the Doctor Strange folks, who a lot of people complained that that wasn't different enough, but at least it did have like a unique visual identity. Yeah. Uh, but this is like another Colin Trevorrow situation, I think, where you've got somebody that you've brought on They've done one movie that maybe got a little bit of attention, and now you're bringing them on to this big movie. And I was going to say, let me just quick, quickly start out for people who don't know Captain Marvel. I'm just going to give you like a brief, brief, brief history of not very, very brief. Uh, she originally appeared in Marvel Superheroes number thirteen ninety sixty eight. She was she was a fighter Air Force pilot, Carol Danvers, and she, there was this captain called Captain Marvel, Captain Marvel, the original Captain Marvel, who had these two bands that he would slam together, and he was a Cree and everything. He was living on Earth as an undercover agent. There was an explosion with the both of them, and she was granted powers like his, basically given power by him, and became Ms. Marvel, because in the 19, late 1970s, Ms. was a magazine and all, all that stuff. So, But she had a completely different costume to the point where it was pretty much... It wasn't as much provocative, but it was just kind of... You it's would, definitely a comic-specific costume. Yes, yeah, so... Even in, I've heard people bitching about not having, I mean, they tried to do that costume, it wouldn't work in, in live action. You couldn't do it. Like much as it, you could, much as it pains me, because I love that costume. It's a great costume design, but it's one of those things that will work better if you watch a certain parody. No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> uh, but no, in, so in 2012, uh, it, you know, the character was, re- so this is recent, this character was renamed Captain Marvel. A new, a new writer, Kelly Sue DeConnick, who's Matt Fraction's wife, who's also a, a comic writer, she was brought in by Marvel to pretty much redefine this character, and she renamed her Captain Marvel as she felt that as a fighter pilot, well, she's a captain, she can have that role, and she changed the costume to what we see in the movie, and 
pretty much redefined the character, put the cat in there and all that stuff. There's a lot of stuff. So much for she was hired as a consultant for the movie, and she hasn't worked for Marvel Comics division for a number of years, but she was brought on as a consultant for this movie. And a lot of this movie, I can feel what, for better or worse, is a lot of Kelly Sue DeConnick stuff in this movie in the sense of the female empowerment and um, the way that Captain Marvel is portrayed. So let's get into what we thought of the movie. Ken, I liked it. I didn't love it. I liked it a lot. I think I liked it more than you did, but let's let's get into it. Let's get into the nitty-gritty. Well, I saw Green Lantern. I wasn't a huge <laughs> fan of it the first time around. I also saw Iron Man 2, and the blatant attempts to set up the MCU in there at least were going forward as opposed to the first two-thirds of uh, the first season of Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., but I'm sorry. I planned on seeing this again to make sure I wasn't just tired when I saw it, but I think it's the weakest of the Marvel films. Now, that said, it's still not a terrible movie. I mean, like I say about Pixar, if Cars 2 is your worst film, that's actually a pretty good batting average because that's the same as like a, a okay Dreams, DreamWorks film. But mm. I feel like they just grafted Carol Danvers onto Hal Jordan, and if they're getting that from the comics, that's fine. I haven't really read much since she became Captain Marvel. I was a bigger fan of the Miss Marvel iteration, but she's getting into a plane crash, getting superpowers, having to learn to believe in him herself after being trained by a person who ends up not being what they seem. I think Carol Danvers deserves better than to be Hal Jordan, because Hal Jordan sucks. <laughs> I also think she deserves an actual character arc, because either Brie Larson is slumming it in a situation where she shows about the same emotional range as Kristen Stewart in the Twilight movies, or the directors and writers of this really did a poor job of actually directing and writing, because I feel like she's the same damn character at the beginning as she is at the end, and I haven't learned a thing about her, even though she's supposed to have been on this journey of self-discovery. So, she's got her best friend telling her all of the things that she's that she is, and what's supposed to make up a personality. I'm like, well, maybe it would be more effective to actually show her being those things, instead of a secondary character telling us what she's supposed to be. Yeah, I mean... I I enjoyed Brie Larson as the character, but I think one of the biggest weaknesses in this movie is that she shows no weakness in this movie. There's never a point where I feared that she would be, and I guess that's the whole point, but you know what I mean. There's no character arc, like you said. She starts off the movie pretty much in the same confidence level that she ends the movie, and it's it's just sort of like there's no learning her I don't say learning her but you know what I mean there's no character growth I feel it's just like sure she does discover her origins and that she came from earth and etc etc but at the same time it's not to the point I don't know I will say I give her credit I guess she did train judo and in wrestling and boxing and trained hard for nine months for the movie which I think she does excels in the action scenes her acting, I guess, is okay. It's just, I don't know. I think the best stuff in the movie is the interplay with her and, and, and Samuel Jackson as Nick Fury. They definitely have a good chemistry. And the first 20 to 40% of the movie feels like a 70s, 80s buddy cop kind of thing. And that kind of dovetails into the whole Captain Marvel thing. There's a neat little twist with the Skrulls and... The Kree, which I enjoyed, but I know some people didn't enjoy, but I feel that they kind of 
blew their wad. I no, can't think of another word to say that. With the Skrulls, with Avengers 1 and the Chitauri. I know they're not the same thing, but they pretty much are. Well, they're um, the ultimate Chitauri. Uh, yeah, the ultimate so. version of the Skrulls, basically. And they couldn't use the Skrulls at that point, they thought. So I will say the one thing that did disappoint me, though, too... Ronan the Accuser being in this movie, like, oh man, we're going to see Ronan again and building it up as a big villain that she's going to fight. And she's like, he's like, at the end of the movie, I'll get you, Captain Marvel. And then it's like, oh wait, in Guardians in 2014, he is like, oh, I turned to just and die. So yeah. unless the sequel to this that they do somehow does that fight, I felt kind of that he was kind of wasted. Yeah. But- and, and that's kind of part of the problem of setting this up as a prequel is that we already know what's going to happen and there is absolutely no tension by the third act. Well, that's the other thing. And also the other problem with the third act is, and I know I'm jumping on, your riding on your coattails with this because I know you said this before, it, she's just so uber-powerful to the point where she's just flying through spacecrafts and destroying them. And just, there's no there's no point where you're like, oh, like I said, there's no weakness where it's like, oh man, she's probably going to lose. Just to the point where absurdity, where it's like, okay, this is going to be an interesting character that they've powered to the point of cosmic goddess. (laughs) And that's, they're going to run into the same kind of problem that DC always worries about with Superman. If you listen to the Justice League cartoon commentaries, they say it themselves that they kind of have trouble sometimes with that character because you have to be really particular in how you use him in terms of not overpowering him so that you just wonder why anybody else is there. And I think they might run into that in future Avengers movies, things like that, where why would they need any other characters if Captain Marvel's around and she can rip through a spaceship like tissue paper? Yeah. Um, I also noticed there was a definite, and this is their choice, I it didn't bother me, but it's obvious a, a very obvious choice that there's no love interest. It's much, much like, well, maybe her and uh, Maria Rambeau, her friend, like, are they, are they, you know, are they, are they a couple? Because, like, there's no other real close love, representation of love in the movie except that, and even as a friendship. There's not anything where she's just so angry at the, I don't want to say angry, but she's just kind of uh, Captain Marvel. She's just, Well, anger you know, would imply she has some sort of a reaction. Yeah, so, I mean, it's, it's... Uh, Okay. I get. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, I don't. Okay. Yeah, Fury kind of takes the Steve Trevor role, but without, like you said, the romance and things. She's dated a bunch of the characters in the Marvel universe in the comics, so who knows if they'll explore that later on? But yeah, I mean, she's yeah, she dated Spider Man, Tony Stark, and pretty much everyone that you get. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. And, and and that's not something I missed necessarily. No. Although I think it could have added another layer. But you know, you, you talked about. Wonder Woman before, and I know it's not always fair to directly compare films, but this is going to lead to a bit of a rant, so I apologize. Take, get on your right soapbox and rant right away. Okay, um, so we did mention a little bit about the whole Twitter war going on with it that 90% of the audience probably didn't know or care about, and I'm sure did not affect the box office at all one way or the other, because the people who wanted it to succeed, I'm sure canceled out the people who were trying to tank it, right. blah, 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 and they were just off in their own little corner. But if we're going to compare this and Wonder Woman, because a lot of people are doing that, I will say that when it comes to what we'll call the feminist content of the film, 
one of the things that I really thought Patty Jenkins did extremely well in Wonder Woman was to use an incredible amount of grace and control when it came to that kind of thing. And I singled out the No Man's Land sequence in particular when we reviewed that a couple of years back because it is a sequence that is, number one, iconic. Like, she just nailed it. But she knew how to pull it off and is a good enough filmmaker that she made it work where it's about the character and you can incorporate the larger themes of the movie into the character that way. If the makers of Captain Marvel had written Wonder Woman and that scene in particular, they'd have had Steve Trevor making a sexist comment and Captain Marvel would be screaming, or Wonder Woman would be screaming, I'm no man and for no man's land, and they would be playing Gloria Gaynor's I Will Survive. And uh, I mean, there's a point in the movie where they have a dickhead make a comment that she should smile more, which they say is... Uh, equal to stealing his motorcycle and leaving him stranded somewhere. But keep in mind that comment is made despite the fact that he can't even see her expression because she's behind a giant fucking map of California because it's a visual gag because no GPS because it's the 90s. But So it, it feels like it, they shoehorned it in there and it was not thought out at all, but that's kind of a lot of the movie is they just kind of said, fuck it. That, that's what I kept noticing, is stuff felt like they just said, fuck it. Uh, they decided to have an all-female-fronted 90s band soundtrack. I can dig that. Even though the ones that they picked are all, if you ask somebody who knew nothing about music, what are some female-fronted songs from 90s rock radio, they would write down exactly what this soundtrack is. But there is a pivotal moment in the film where they play Nirvana's Come As You Are, and unless the answer is, fuck it, it's the 90s, then I don't understand why, because, and then they call attention to it, because the Annette Benning character tells her that it, the music is a nice touch to indicate that she's the one causing it, when she disappeared from Earth six years ago, so it should be something from the late 80s, but fuck it, it's the 90s, We're, we gotta play Nirvana, so... <laughs> Uh, and unless she's heard it on the radio, which is not likely because she's driving a motorcycle, how would she even have heard the song, let alone enough to memorize it, unless Fury has that single in the car on their short trip that's on repeat, like How I Met Your Mother, which doesn't, it, it's not likely because apparently he's listening to TLC's Waterfalls. <laughs> But I feel okay, so I, I have to interject. I really had an issue with some of the soundtrack. I feel like it was someone took a like uh now that's what you call uh music from nineteen ninety two or three and um uh, again yeah I some of it works okay for me but when the second I heard like the no doubt I'm just a girl and she's during the fight scene it completely took me out of the fucking movie. And secondly, the Nirvana thing was completely took me out of me because it's just like I never thought I'd hear those kind of songs in a Marvel movie because they're just so generic. Well, they, they're overused, but oh, I guess I because it's been and, twenty years, they it's sort of like using CCR in your Vietnam movie. Like that was the one yeah. thing that bothered me about Kong Skull Island. But yeah, it's just it's just it just took me right out of the movie and. You know, I don't mind some, you know, flashback 90s uh, songs, but uh, those two really bugged me. And it was like, like, hit you over the head with a mallet. Oh, wait, she's a girl, and she's and she's just a girl in a world, and she's fighting, and I get it. Like, 
Yeah. I get it, and it just—it's a little on the nose. But I mean, yeah. if you like in in the sequence with Annette Benning, if you want something moody, why not throw in something that actually fits the theme of your soundtrack? Otherwise, like some Mazzy yeah. Star or something. I mean, is it because it wasn't a number one bizarre. hit? Yeah, it's like if and if you have to have Nirvana in there, at least why not use them somewhere more appropriate where it's not a plot point. Yeah, it's and I normally don't even care about this kind of cinema sins honest trailer bullshit because <laughs> I'm caught up in the story. But I wasn't caught up in the story this time. Like I said, there's no tension in the third act. She ends up ridiculously overpowered, and while it's not a terrible film by any means, but it's definitely not one of their better ones. I mean, I wouldn't say, and this is my personal, I wouldn't say it's as bad as like Thor: Dark World or Iron Man Two. But it's no Guardians, it's no Guardians 2, it's no any of the Avengers, any of the Captain Americas. But I don't know, it's sort of in the middle somewhere. But there's some stuff that works for me, and that a lot of it is the connections to the future, or to, to the stuff in the future. Phil, I like Clark Gregg and Phil, seeing Phil Coulson again. I like seeing Fury. Uh, he seemed like he actually, Samuel Jackson actually wanted to play Fury in this movie where in a lot of the other movies it seems like he's just walking on the set and doing like two lines and being like fuck this alright I'm done oh man and, oh, okay yeah I loved Sam Jackson in this movie as Fury I think he basically carried the film well yeah this this is the first time I felt that okay he is Nick Fury like before he just sort of felt like okay they drew him in the Ultimates comics as Nick Fury based on Samuel Jackson. So I, he, but like in this one, I'm like, wow, he's actually showing the character had a life and de depth. And I could have done without the losing the eye by the floggle schmoogle, thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which because in Winter Soldier he makes the, the quote of like, you know, last time I trusted someone, I lost my eye. I didn't expect it to be some sort of alien cat, but what can you do? I did like it, it's kind of like that. Uh thing in Star Wars where he talks about how Luke's dad was already a great pilot when they met and they shoehorned it in <laughs> right. to being a pod racer and thing. yeah. Right. Right. It's like, right. maybe it works in the broadest definition, but right. it doesn't seem but like something it, you would say. <laughs> exactly. That's a very good, good analogy. And, you know, I, but yeah, Samuel Jackson was really good. I thought you could tell that he he liked being in this movie, where the other ones I just feel like he got for the paycheck. And I, I know that's like blasphemy for Marvel fans, but I, I never felt that he really cared. This one, it seems like, okay, he was in for this movie at least. Um, well, it, I, it feels like this is... It, it, okay, this is the one thing where I think they did a really good job in terms of this is where the character is now. He becomes the other character in the future after he's seen all this shit. And you see yes. a couple of instances of that, but he's not there yet, but you see how he gets there. Yes, and they I, did a really a, good job of pulling that off. Yeah, they do a good job with showing his... He does have a good character arc, if you know him in the future movies, because, yes, you, he's starting to... He's, he's, Throw into this play thing where you see these aliens and these characters, and it's just like holy shit. And then like, how do you just go back to being a normal agent after that? Like, and uh, even Coulson to a certain extent, you get this. I like, I like that. I like the use of interesting spoiler territory now. Obviously, um, I did like the use of the cosmic cube tesseract, or if you want to call it, as the MacGuffin of powering the space whatever it was called the space thing Which, that, uh, yeah and i'm gonna disagree with you on that that felt like it was a step too far and it was one of those things where once again kind of shoehorned in there although we'll see if it makes a difference come well, end game 
that's much my question is like I'm already I kind of like that instead of I, I, don't know, I like the fact that she's powered by it because now I'm like does that mean when she meets Thanos she's going to either be able to uh, be immune to that gem, uh, that gem or is she going to be even more is he going to able to basically take her powers away with hitting with the gun like so there's it sets up that and I, I I'm pretty sure they probably did only with that in mind of let's see how this works with going into Avengers because if not you don't have that same she would just be okay she's super powerful for no reason which in the comments is like oh explosion she's got cap and they didn't do the Marvel yeah she got the Kree blood but it wasn't the same kind of I did like the um the the Jude Law swerve because I you know the whole thing. In the year New York is be coming out, people were like, "Oh, the the spoiler is that Yon Rog is actually Captain Marvel," which turned out not to be true. Because, but everyone said it was the truth, which I'm glad that it wasn't. But um, yeah, I I, I liked the movie. I didn't love it. I think mm-hmm. she. I, I I really liked the middle mid credit scene, which wasn't really much. What do you call it? It wasn't really much a mid credit scene as an excerpt from Endgame and. I really dug it, and I'm actually excited to see how she fits in with the Avengers. Yeah. And, you it, know. It, it's kind of like the mid credit sequence in Ant-Man, where it's like it doesn't really fit with the rest of the movie, but right. it's, it's telling you to... It's basically a commercial for the next mm-hmm. Avengers film. Absolutely, and why not? <laughs> All right. Yeah, I... I I like the post credit sequences too. Uh, even if I called the last one, I like I called mostly gags in this movie. I hate to say, but man, okay, how much do you love Goose? He I, again, amazing character. Everyone I think just fell in love with that character, and even though it was portrayed by four different cats, but I did enjoy. <laughs> um, and, and and I will say, I, I do yeah. think that the big reveal gag with him is. Like I said, I kind of called it after the initial shock, and I wish they hadn't skewed so closely to the big Groot gag from Guardians that they already revisited in Infinity War. But uh, as far as Goose goes, I mean, I think he's the MVP of the film. Interestingly (laughs) enough, in the the comics, his name is Chewie, uh, based off the character Chewbacca, obviously. She's a fan of Star Wars, Carol Danvers, but... In here, it's a Disney movie. They could use the name Chewie, but for some reason, they changed his name to Goose based on, I'm assuming, the Top Gun character, Nick mm-hmm. Goose Bradshaw. But why, I don't know, uh, because she's a fighter pilot. But just, wait, it's not her cat, so I have no idea. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, it's a little weird. Well, and they do that thing where they show that apparently Marvel, the the, the Annette Benning character, was a, a fan of earth pop culture and they show a rec room that looks a lot like uh, what Peter Quills would be like if he had money. (laughs) Right. True. So yeah, I I mean, I, I think it's a good movie. It's a good introduction to the character. I wish there was more character depth and arc, but I I mean, what we got, I I mean, I I thought they did a good job with the Rambos, even if, even if there is that scene where, Monica's helping change her suit by wiggling her finger on her arm. That was but, pretty bad, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I did really like them. I would love to see Monica come back, especially if it leads to some kind of fucked up next wave movie. But uh, I really like them. I thought Ben Mendelsohn was... Uh, I thought I think the script didn't know what the fuck they were doing and kind of didn't serve him, but he did a really good job with what they had. 
Um, yeah, it was weird because he had like his. I think it's his own Australian accent that he used. And, like it's weird to have the scroll leader be Australian, I guess, or have not But I guess you know maybe they picked it up from Thor. I don't know. <laughs> That's a fair point. Fair point. Um, I was going to say something else. I just lost my train of thought. Uh, but no, um, yeah, I, I, I think as a, uh, I the, the the crowd I saw it with of any indication they. They gave it like a huge ovation after it ended, and they they really dug it. Um, it seems to be very well liked. So I mean, not that doesn't mean whether you like it or not. I like I said, it's somewhere in the middle for me. I liked it. I didn't love it. Well, uh, and, and I think I didn't see it with the best crowd. It was the first Marvel movie I have seen, and I, I probably since the first Avengers, where I didn't hear anybody cheer for the Stan Lee cameo. Speaking oh, of wow. which, yeah, uh, I assume that you jizzed in your pants over the Mallrats reference. Yeah, well, it's, it's sort of stupid because, no, I, I loved it, but the problem was Kevin Smith is fucking spoiled. He, he, I found him on Instagram and he, like, posts this, this picture of him with, like, tears in his eyes. I'm like, oh, he saw Captain Marvel. We have him cry? And then he's like, oh, the, the fact that, you know, they did that and, you know, my movies exist in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And I'm like, oh, fuck. So I kind of figured I could put two and two together. And then, like, when I saw it, it wasn't as insane as but I, I did really enjoy it and the fact that there is a Mallrats that exists in the Marvel Cinematic Universe makes me very happy. Yeah, um, and, and there is a real life Stan Lee in the Marvel Universe yes. which would basically make him God. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, we didn't mention, also, uh, I really, really dug the uh, tribute uh, opening. Instead of using the characters in the Marvel logo, they did all his his um, cameos as in those movies, and I thought that was a really nice nice way to tr- give him a tribute without Which, making it. Admittedly, it seems like a weird one to go on because Carol Danvers was created by Roy Thomas and Gene Colan, and... Not, right, not well, sure. Stanley, I, 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 but and I, I would have thought they'd save it for Endgame. But well, uh, I think they feel they had to say something because it's been the first Marvel movie since he passed away. Yeah. I mean, they've done they did it in Deadpool and Spider Verse, and those weren't Marvel uh, Marvel Studios. So I think if they didn't, then people would have been like, "Oh, they don't give a shit about Stanley," and, and they can never do it right because I already saw people bitching like, "Well, oh, fuck, where where's the Jack Kirby tribute?" And I was like, "Jesus Christ!" Like I get it, but like, come on, just enough <laughs> like it's yeah. true like, come on let's be honest and he didn't just pass away this past year so um but anyway so yeah i i liked it but yeah it, it what let's let's round up the episode and give up our ratings for each of the movies we saw so what would you give uh how to train your dragon hidden world i would give that one four stars uh, okay. how about alita battle angel I'd give that three, and that's a that's a that's like a three that I'm trying to fight to almost make it a little lower because I don't I don't do two point somethings, but three point oh definitely is not yeah. like a Which, strong three. Yeah, that matches mine. Mine's my score on that is three. Fighting with my family, I would give four stars to, and that it's sort of my movie of the episode. Yeah, I, I give that easily a four. If not, if we don't do halves, I almost I almost want to push it to a four point five, but I don't think it's. But it's definitely a four. It's definitely a major four for me. Um, and I, I also I would give Captain Marvel uh, a not as high four as that, but it's still a four. But that's 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 for me. But again, that's yeah. again maybe it was the crowd I saw it with, and maybe that's my Marvel fanboyish. That it's Marvel. I have to love it. But um, yeah, I, I enjoy for me. I Captain Marvel is more of a three star. So, okay, fair enough, man. 
let's. I just want to briefly. I completely forgot to say this when you were talking. Just talking about the movie, but it's box office. It's it, this as you as Kent met, mentioned. Uh, the Marvel brand is just ridiculous. I mean, 160 million dollar opening weekend, third or second, third or second highest March opening of all time. It's already made more money than pretty much anything besides uh, opening weekend wise. Besides. The Guardians movies, the Iron Mans, the Caps, and the Avengers, which is pretty incredible because this is a character I never really read in the car in the comics, didn't care about. General public didn't really know about this character, so I think they did either a good job marketing or it's just the brand name or that teaser at the end of Avengers: Infinity War really intrigued people. <laughs> so, well, it, it doesn't hurt that her name is Captain Marvel, right? So I mean, it all kind of works. I just feel uh, Shazam's going to get destroyed, and I, I know I was kind of like, well, I think it's going to. There, they got the Shazam name because I feel he's more Shazam than Captain Marvel. Even though I know he was Captain Marvel first, well, that's a whole other issue for another day, another <laughs> podcast. But uh, I feel that movie's going to get just slaughtered because I mean, yeah, this guy it's got about three weeks Captain Marvel to to keep making money, but I don't feel that Shazam is going to be any sort of threat of, like, people are going to be like, oh, man, I can't wait to go see Shazam, because i got to rant on this just before we peace out, but they put the fucking TV spot in the new trailer to the fucking Eminem song, My Name Is, or whatever, the, the Slim Shady song, and I'm just like, are you, like, who in the Warner Brothers market would be like, you know what, we've got a Shazam movie that's, about a guy who does, he was a kid who, who, who turns into a superhero, and let's put an Eminem song to him, and I'm just like, like an Eminem song from 1999, and it's just like, what yeah, when fuck? you're promoting it basically as a family film. It's so just bonkers and so ass-backwards, but hey, that's the DC Expanded Universe. It shows that they've learned absolutely nothing, and uh, just I, expect, I fully expect that film to way underperform if... I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't see it doing... I mean, we'll see. I'm going to see it, and we'll talk about it. But, uh, yeah, I feel bad. Because it's very funny that these two characters that shared the same name in the comics, or not that often, but they're both technically Captain Marvels, uh, or have the name Marvel in them, and they're coming out within a month of each other, and one of them's going to make a lot of money, and one of them's probably going to be a flop. So, uh, I mean, I would have figured which one was going to be which. It wouldn't have shocked anyone. But, uh, yeah, so that's that was my little rant on that. Um, as always, uh, you can find us on Facebook at on Isle of the Dam, our page. You can find us at, find us online at the our actual page, uh, movienoise.com slash Isle, on Twitter at Isle of the Dam, no E D, uh, Instagram, I'm Xander Harris2981, uh, Kent uh, Kent Ramon, I believe is yours. Yes indeed. And also Team Tiki Studios for Kent's art stuff, uh, cartooning. And I think that's going to wrap it up for this episode. Uh, we had a lot to get through, but thanks for listening. And just wanted to reiterate, I don't know if you did not listen to our announcement uh, thing that we announced last week uh, that we posted. Um, we are switching to a current other week's schedule for the near future. Um, doesn't mean it won't change in the future. But for now, uh, Kent's got a new job that's taken up a lot of his time. And I've got some personal medical stuff going on that I can't. It was just, it's a time crunch of we would not be able to put out a show that I feel he feels we would be proud of weekly. And as I think that you guys deserve the best product. I think we're so we're so, so we're going to do an Isle of the Dam every other week and a Blockbusters every other week for the most part. We may switch that up. And again, this doesn't mean this is forever. It's just for the current time. But I mean, it's just there's only so many hours in a day, and I, I think it's at this point it's for the best. So hopefully you guys 
hang out, hang on with us for that. So uh, we will see you in two weeks for an episode of Blockbusters, and we'll be back next time to review some more movies. So peace out, have a, enjoy your weekend, and we'll catch you in two weeks. Watch some flicks. this one stopped sooner why captain marvel blew everyone away at the box office <laughs> away <laughs>